What's up, everybody? Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I am your host, Andrew for America. (sighs) People, today, people, we're going to talk about Bill Gates. I've been doing a lot of research. I've been reading a lot of stuff. I've been going back in history. And I've had uh, severe suspicions about the man for quite some time. Anybody that knows me probably knows that I have expressed this multiple times on the social medias, probably for the last decade. And... I recently shared a little story that I stumbled upon on the social medias. And at this point, probably you people have, I would imagine a lot of you have heard this already. People, Bill and Melinda Gates are getting divorced. Now, I don't know how much you people know about Bill Gates. I'm sure you've probably heard some people, you've probably heard little grumblings, little rumblings, little weird conspiracy theories out there. Oh, that could never be true. Oh, gosh, the guy's such a philanthropist, right? Remember, remember what I said in a previous podcast about philanthropists? Isn't it funny how the richest, most powerful people in the world just so happen to be the biggest philanthropists? They have to give a portion of their money away. The take. They got to give it back to society, quote unquote. Right? Well, I'm going to play some clips. <laughs> oh, Fuck. I'm I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it today. I'm going to present you with some information, different sets of information from different people around the world. Actually, this is a very international podcast. You're about to uh, be witness to. You're about to listen to people. There was a recent article published by the Byte B Y T E. In fact, a lot of the Bill Gates. Melinda Gates divorce um, uh, commentary and news stories, etc., are being uh, run by tech companies like, like uh, you know, Wired Magazine, The Byte, etc. There's a bunch of other people in the tech world, IT world, that are talking about this. Uh, But this is by a guy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna claim plausible deniability. This is by a guy named Dan Robitsky. Uh, who writes on Future and Society for The Byte, B-Y-T-E. His recent article is entitled, uh, Melinda Gates Met with Divorce Lawyers Around the Time of Epstein's Arrest. The recent divorce announcement seems to have been a long time coming. Melinda and Bill Gates announced their plans to get a divorce last week, but it turns out that the powerful couple's separation has been in the works for years now. 
While there's no official publicly available reasoning for the upcoming divorce, the Wall Street Journal reports that Bill Gates' relationship with financier and convicted sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein seems to have played a significant part. Melinda reportedly consulted her advisors and met with divorce lawyers as far back as 2019, right around the time Epstein was arrested and reporters revealed his ties with the Microsoft co-founder turned philanthropist. At the time, she said her marriage was, quote, irretrievably broken, unquote. Bill Gates has since disavowed and downplayed his connection to Epstein, who Melinda Gates reportedly couldn't stand and wanted absolutely nothing to do with after meeting with him once in the year 2013. Years later, it seems that Gates's ties to Epstein continued to cause a rift between the couple. While most of Bill Gates's meetings with Epstein happened before the meeting attended by Melinda, he and other Gates Foundation employees did continue to deal with him after Melinda made her distaste for him apparent and clear. And most recently, The Wall Street Journal's reporting makes it clear that the duo spent their pandemic negotiating a divorce. Now, as the Wall Street Journal reports, the big challenge will be dividing the couple's investments, properties, and other assets. And people, when that stuff becomes public record, I cannot wait to see how far the tentacles of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation actually go. Bill and Melinda Gates also reportedly remain committed to their work with the Gates Foundation, though it will be interesting to see how the organization grapples with having two heads entering what could possibly become a messy legal situation. People, this is... The story of the 21st century. We are beginning to see the culmination of everything since the turn of the millennium, really. Even before that, I mean, this was all set in motion after 9-11. So the first clip I'm going to play for you people is from a document a documentary about Bill Gates that was done uh not so long ago I would say probably like I don't know maybe 10 years maybe not even that I don't know uh I'm not going to really I'm not going to have any show notes on this I'm not going to cite my sources like I said I'm not trying to take a side I'm not trying to to uh present a point of view to you okay I'm just going to present you with some information And you, the free, sovereign people of this American nation, can make your own decisions for yourself, okay? Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just going to give you a snapshot of what many people around this world are saying about Bill Gates specifically and implicitly Bill and Melinda Gates collectively, okay? So here we go. This is from 
a documentary. I don't know the name name of it, and it never was released. But I happened to stumble upon it. It's probably not hard to find on the interwebs if you want to go get intellectually curious and go look this shit up for yourself. So, without further ado, let's take a little trip. <laughs> let's learn about our friend, friend of the world, and friend of the big club, one of the richest men walking this planet, Bill Gates. Here we go. We're taking things that are you know, genetically modified organisms and we're injecting them in little kids' arms. We just shoot them right into the vein. Gates' business strategies came under fire in 1998 when the United States Department of Justice sued Microsoft for antitrust violations. This is take three of the videotaped deposition of Bill Gates on September... During the 18-month trial, Gates gave hours of videotaped testimony. What were the non-Microsoft browsers that you were concerned about in January of 1996. That month. Yes, sir. And what about it? What non-Microsoft browsers were you concerned about in January of 1996? I don't know what you mean concerned. Um, what is it about the word concerned that you don't understand? Justice Department has charged Microsoft with engaging in anti-competitive and exclusionary practices designed to maintain its monopoly in personal computer operating systems. In a move to overshadow the negative press, Gates invested $100 million to set up the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Overnight, Bill Gates transformed his public image from ruthless tech monopolizer to the world's most generous philanthropist. I'm pleased to announce that we're pledging an additional billion dollars. Uh, we had the chance to witness Bill Gates 2.0, the man you don't know. The rebranding campaign paid off. His net worth swiftly doubled, earning Bill Gates the title of richest man in the world. You've invested $10 billion in vaccinations over the last two decades, and you figured out the return on investment for that, and it kind of stunned me. Can you walk us through the math? In a Wall Street essay, Bill Gates declared vaccines the best investment I've ever made. There's been over a 20 to 1 return. So if you just look at the economic benefits, uh, that's a pretty strong number compared to anything else. The Gates Foundation expanded rapidly into a massive, vertically integrated, multinational corporation, controlling every step in a supply chain that reaches from its Seattle-based boardrooms to the villages of Africa and Asia. Is the world's largest private philanthropy causing harm? The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has made millions of dollars each year from companies blamed for many of the same social and health problems the foundation seeks to address. The Gates Foundation has investments in 69 of the worst polluting companies in the U.S. and Canada. Other companies in the foundation's portfolio have been accused of transgressions, including forcing thousands of people to lose their homes, supporting child labor, defrauding and neglecting patients in need of medical care. The Gates Foundation has not provided details. William H. Gates III and Melinda French Gates. As a top donor to both the WHO and the CDC, no one man has more power than Bill Gates to influence and control the health and medical freedom of all people. Normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated 
the entire global population. This will be the new normal until a vaccine is developed. Until we find a vaccine, going back to normal means putting lives at risk. We need to produce it and to deploy it in every single corner of the world. Full vaccination of our children and pregnant women. Development of new vaccines, therapeutics and diagnostics. And for effective vaccines and therapeutics are developed. We've already bought the syringes. We already know where it's going to happen. We're thinking about what that's going to be. It's all part of this plan. Our military is now being mobilized. So at the end of the year, we're going to be able to give it to a lot of people very, very rapidly. In 1986, President Ronald Reagan signed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, granting total immunity to vaccine manufacturers. After a decade of lawsuits related to vaccine injuries and deaths, vaccine makers were going bankrupt. In a move to coerce policymakers, vaccine companies threatened to stop making vaccines until they could be legally shielded from liability. To this day, when someone is injured or killed as the result of an adverse reaction, it is the U.S. taxpayers that pay for the damages. Welcome back. Were several Indian tribal girls used as guinea pigs? The report alleges that two American pharma giants, untested vaccine was administered to thousands of tribal girls without proper study and paperwork. India was among the hardest hit after Bollywood celebrities were incentivized by the Gates Foundation to urge the public to submit to mass vaccinations. In 2009, tribal children were administered the HPV vaccine. Over 24,000 girls were told they were being given wellness shots, in many cases without the informed consent of a parent or a guardian. The people that were administering these vaccines lied to the guardians of these girls and told the girls, oh, this is going to cure cancer, you're never going to have cancer. And these girls became severely injured. Some of them developed seizures, some of them developed cancer. And seven girls died. And there was no insurance, there was no assistance for them. And the Gates Foundation denied that it had been clinical trials. And it was so bad that the parliament in India created a task force, they studied it, and they kicked out the Gates Foundation. But India is a barbaric country. Things happen here in a very barbaric way. But I was surprised to find an American organization operating in broad daylight, doing things in a very, very, let's say, Indian fashion. And so the route I took was that I want the whole procedure to be investigated. The Indian Parliament formed a committee and it was to me a rather surprising move because you generally don't often have such a high level inquiry into matters affecting poor people. And that was such an extraordinary report. I don't think Indian Parliament has ever come out with such a scathing report. And the government officials came up and said, we shouldn't have authorized this. We're sorry. We're not going to allow them again. And now they're back doing their same old tricks again. The good news is that human clinical trials can start as early as July 2020 for India's first COVID-19 indigenous vaccine that's been developed by Bharat Biotech. So you can imagine how the manipulation of the media, by the media, the manipulation of public opinion, 
by leaders from all political parties unanimously saying we want a vaccine and the worst thing is they are taken as philanthropists whereas what this actually is is the acquisition of political and financial power and i think the second most populous country with 1.3 billion people is going to be a good base for pharmaceutical companies to make a killing and also kill a lot of people in the process yes i just find it a pity that we haven't been able to get any benefit for the girls who suffered you know it's so terrifying as to what they're actually doing with the world we're taking things that are you know genetically modified organisms and we're injecting them in little kids arms we just shoot them right into the vein a 2018 scientific study released in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health concluded that over 490,000 children in India developed paralysis as a result of the gate-supported oral polio vaccine that was administered between the years of 2000 and 2017. Using all the usual sleight of hand, US-based media and fact-checkers rushed to bury the story. But thanks to the meticulous work of a team of Indian researchers and doctors the inconvenient truth lives on the nih.gov website it's my honor to introduce bill and melinda gates without any medical training bill and melinda gates founded the global alliance for vaccines and immunization through which they fulfill their agenda to vaccinate the world the foundation has been sued by the governments of some of the poorest and most vulnerable nations for causing serious harm through experimental vaccine programs If you just look at healthcare workers around the world, they deserve to get the vaccine first. You know, here in the United States, really it's going to be black people who really should get it first and many indigenous people. Vaccines were always taught to us that it was safe, it was it was healthy. This is things that we had to do. But given the position that I am in now as a state legislator and looking at these studies and reviewing a lot of these studies, it's very scary and I want the African American community to open up their eyes. Of all the places that Mr. Gates could have gone in the world, why did he settle on Africa? It's not because he cares about people that look like me. He cares about an agenda. African bodies have been used as lab rats for many years for big pharma. They are using us for trials, they are using us for testing, but as an African, I say no more. Africans, they're tired of becoming the guinea pigs of the world. Their antennas are raised and they are telling each other all over social media they're on high alert right now. There is a policy of the American government is called the Kissinger Report which was produced in the mid 70s and it explicitly states that uh, the purpose of the foreign policy in Africa was to uh, reduce the, the population because they have great mineral resources there and the time Kissinger and those involved with the Carter administration wanted to shrink the population make sure that the Africans do not develop and do not use the resources for themselves because we in the states we need them there is a, a concerted effort of foreign powers to uh, control the population of Africa Some children did survive the botched vaccinations last month and will recover, but 15 all under the age of 5 died from fever, vomiting and diarrhea. Human errors 
contributed to the unfortunate deaths of the children. How can you believe Big Pharma, but not believe these parents when they tell you that their children have been injured by Big Pharma? I don't care how big this corporate machine looks. As a parent, I can tell you, these people will never stop fighting for their kids. is either the most misunderstood man alive or one of the most convincing con men to ever live. Is he a benevolent hero or a malevolent opportunist? Bill Gates. Personally, I would love to believe that one of the richest men in the world is giving away his fortune for the betterment of humanity. I want to believe that endearing smile. I want to believe that his heart is as soft and warm as his sweaters. At the very least, I want to believe that he's unaware of the damage he's done. When do you think life will fully return to what we thought of as normal back in January? No masks, no social distancing, uh, no other protective measures necessary. Certainly by the summer will be way closer to normal than we are now. But even through early 2022, unless we help other countries get rid of this disease and we get high vaccination rates in our country, the risk of reintroduction will be there. And of course, the global economy will be uh, slowed down, which hurts America economically in a pretty dramatic way. So we'll have starting in the summer, about nine months where a few things like big public gatherings uh, will still be restricted. But, you know, we can see now that somewhere between 12 to 18 months, and we have a chance if we manage it well uh, to get back to normal. For the world at large, normalcy only returns when we've largely vaccinated the entire global population. And well, this won't be the last pandemic that we face. So we, you know, we'll have to prepare for the next one. That, you know, I'd say is, uh, will get attention this time. The next one will get attention next time. Hmm. Like I said, I'm not taking a side. I'm not going to interject my opinion. I'm not going to say anything that's going to get me in trouble or get me deplatformed. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just going to present you guys with some information today. Okay? Um, so in the beginning of that clip, you heard uh, part of, part of, one of the people you heard was Janet Reno during the Clinton administration say that they were going after Microsoft for antitrust violations. And then you heard the guy interviewing Bill Gates while he was freak, freakishly rocking back and forth like Rain Man or something. Didn't want to answer the question. And then all of a sudden he started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And he dumped all this money into philanthropy. Right? Well, now that paper trail is starting to 
you know, come to life. People are starting to see what, 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 uh, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been up to over the course of the past 20 plus years. You know, and remember in a previous podcast, I told you guys that, you know, if Ronald, if Ronald Reagan ever portrayed, if he portrayed himself, or I'm sorry, if he was half the man he portrayed himself to be in that speech while he was president, I would have followed him to into war, to my possible death, etc. He's the one that signed the bill saying that vaccine companies, makers, vaccine makers, pharmaceutical companies are immune to litigation for, you know, any wrongdoing done by, you know, vaccines or medicine or, you know, injections, whatever. I didn't know that. And then you heard the you heard the people from India. I mean, think about India. India and Africa both apparently were lied to. The people were lied to. They were they were given vaccines, HPV vaccines, probably, you know, AIDS maybe. I don't know, who knows? Who knows what they were told? But I mean, this this documentary is pretty much telling you that Bill and Melinda Gates had their hand in almost every aspect of this world move through the WHO, World Health Organization, and through the United Nations, that, you know, vaccines are now a necessity, and total dictatorial control of nations is necessary in order to protect us from the big bad viruses that are coming, right? Right? The, the the Indian gentleman uh, mentioned manipulation of public opinion. Bollywood actors and actresses were, were part of the deal. I'm telling you, you got to be wary of these celebrities, people. Celebrities... <laughs> uh, celebrities are like just as much useful idiots as the people that buy this progressive movement bullshit hook, line, and sinker. You're all just useful idiots. You're fodder. You're 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 a tool for the communist takeover. Like it, oh man, I, I'm going to hell for this one probably, or maybe I'm going to heaven. Who knows? What did this guy talk about too? He talked about Kissinger and Carter during the Carter administration uh, being a part of all this, you know, reduction of African uh, population. That was probably before Bill Gates' time, but that just reintroduces Henry Kissinger. You know, I told you in a previous podcast, he wrote a book about China and the and the coming Chinese. These people are the internationalists. These people are the big club people. I've been telling you about it since episode one. Pay attention. This podcast is very important. Okay. This next piece, oh God, I can't can't believe I'm really going to do this. This next clip, people, is almost a half hour long. I'm sorry. Uh, There's a little bit of uh, foreign language spoken. I think there's German being spoken. A lot of these people are from, uh, um, they're they're scientists, and I don't want to mention anybody's names, but this is a video that was pretty much a Zoom call between a, bu- a bunch of people uh, in the European Union, people from Scandinavia, people from Germany, people from uh, different countries, Switzerland, etc. 
And they're talking about the influence of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on all of their work and how they are um, working with members of the WHO and the United Nations to get all of this stuff off the ground. Okay? Again, don't shoot the messenger. You guys got to pay very close attention to this. I know it's long, and I know um, it's going to seem like a lot, but this is for all of our own good people. I'm telling you, please just with an open mind, listen to this group conversation amongst, uh, you know, virologists and medical professionals and people that are, you know, in the know and on the cutting edge uh, with the movers and the shakers on the world stage with world health, pandemic control, probably even population control. Okay, so here we go. This is long, but pay very, very close attention to what these people are saying. Here we go. Uh, Dr. Stuckelberger, can you hear us? Yeah. Can you tell us what you do? Uh, what is your background? Yes, I'm, um, I've been my whole life a scientist, actually, so health scientist. Um, I started in biology, then I, I, have a, I have a complicated CV, as many women who survive in the academic world, but um, mainly I've been doing research and, and training, um, teaching my whole life, but more so, uh, more and more, uh, since very early on, I was in WHO, uh, doing my master degree on mental health differential in diagnosis, uh, cross-cultural diagnosis, uh, which I, I even posted on my website. And then um, I was taken in a geriatric unit with WHO collaborative studies and the Hospital of Geneva, uh, Switzerland, um, to do research. Um, and research was always and more and more for political decisions. So um, since 90, the 90s, um, I've been deputy director of the Swiss National Program on Aging, 12 million francs, and we had to do science for politics, for politicians, um, decision-making, and for the people. Uh, and then um, I was also, um, you know, a deputy director at the same time for the Interdisciplinary Center of Gerontology Geriatrics. So my first part of life was a lot on aging, the life course, health, differential men, women, um, a lot of um, uh, multi multidisciplinary factors. And I was paid by the Faculty of Medicine, although I started in psychology, then I went to, to medicine very quickly. So I did a PhD uh, on population, aging, health, subjective versus objective health on a big cohort. Because of my positions, I collaborated very quickly with WHO. Mm -hmm. We created an international network on aging. This is how I understood how more and more how the United Nation works, how WHO works. Uh, since 94, I was expert there, um, taken as a rapporteur, a young rapporteur speaking all those languages. <laughs> and um, and uh, then uh, the politicians started to ask me to do events and I organized twice the UN Open Days. Mm -hmm. So that was my first part of life. I got a prize from Kofi Annan for doing so much work in science for politicians, science for people. Then the second part was from 2000 on in in public health. And this is where uh, I started more and more to be in WHO in the capacity of um, on the research ethics um, committee for four years. Um, you know, I have all the credentials, so no conflict of interest, everything. Uh, and then what happened in these courses where I was teaching public health, actually my 
PhD have always been on public health. It was, it's just not a topic that is recognized academically. You have to know that. It's, it's start, starting now. So the uh, Geneva University asked me um, to um, take a mandate with WHO because I was so involved with the United Nations. And um, I did that, and it was on international health regulation. And that was in 2009. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a very interesting mandate. So I was collaborating closely with WHO Lyon, the education program, and WHO Geneva, because I know everybody in the alert and response unit. What is interesting in, in what I'm going to say is I've experimented uh, the, the will to stop training people on, in, on preparedness plan, because we, were, we did an implementation program for three years with Georgetown University, Pretoria, and me for the University of Geneva. It was, you know, the whole international health regulation is to prepare countries and member states to be ready for a pandemic, to prevent a pandemic, and to act quickly and readily. Mm -hmm. So the, the aim then, I thought was very noble and very good. And I said, you know, I, I helped WHO Europe to also do preparedness plan for the Eastern Bloc um, during a workshop. I have all the documents, I have everything. Uh, and then we, we won the um, renewal of the mandate of three years in 2013. And suddenly they announced that there is no fund. Japan has not paid for that. When we had not trained all the regions at all, we had trained part of Africa, part of um, uh, Saudi Arabia, the Middle East, uh, Europe part, uh, America part, but it was definitely not, and I, I always said we should do a publication of training and they never did. I did one for ethics. So, so I saw there that there is something wrong already. Then I started teaching this in the University of Geneva on the global health and human rights summer school that I organized with colleagues, and I was in charge of the International Health Regulation Week, which I was doing. And WHO, Bruce, uh, uh, Bruce Plotkin, a lawyer who was working on the international regulation in WHO, came to tell me that I cannot teach this. And I told him, uh, well, who are you to tell me what I can teach or not? And I, we had a, a lunch in WHO that was quite muscly because I said, it's my right to teach whatever I want, and I don't understand why you don't teach this. I was in, involved also with the European Union, and I, I mean, I have a lot of expertise in the international world. So that, that's where I am now. And if I come to you, um, I mean, I, you have, I have more to say, but I, I want to go to the topic. So yeah. uh, the international health regulation was adopted in 2005 but implemented and come into force in 2008. Uh -huh. And from 2008, they wanted to do implementation training for all the regions. Yes. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. In particular, when I see it in the context of what uh, Frau Behrendt just told us. Because what I did not mention previously was that I also did country missions for the IHR uh, secretariat and also know Bruce Blutkins. <laughs> Oh, you know him. He worked there as well and did some guidance issues and things. So uh, I think we have to speak to each other. <laughs> okay, great. You know them. Yeah. <laughs> Switzerland is the center, and I speak that as a Norwegian. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's the center of a lot of uh, corruption uh, because there we have one of the most important NGO. It's Gavi, the Global Alliance for Vaccine Initiative. 
which the foundation Bill Gates has, which has, I tell you, I I have the papers, Mm. total immunity, total, total. They can do whatever they want. The police cannot come and look into their computer. When the pandemic happened, uh, what would they say is pandemic? Uh, I was in North uh, South Korea for a, a, a big meeting, uh, and I realized there is something not right and not corresponding to the international health regulation when I travel back. And I think this is very weird. Uh, the news says one thing, and people don't behave the same in the airports. Um, so I, I started to look, and, and I, I realized over this whole year, uh, all the breaches compared to the international health regulation and the preparedness plan. And I'm, I'm working now for a lawyer in Quebec um, uh, who's called uh, Dominique Desjardins. You know, I organized the Stockholm Peace Summit post-COVID where I invited you and you couldn't come. And, and um, he was there with um, two other lawyers, uh, Rocco Galati and uh, um, Maître Broussard for France. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think we will solve this public health problem <laughs> and um, population economic problem without lawyers. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so what um, I'm doing now with Maître Desjardins, I'm finding out a bit more, and I have uh, four points I, I can talk to you about. Mm-hmm. First, but uh, you know, as uh, Sylvia is there, she she's great because <laughs> she can confirm and, and just uh, compliment. Um, first, that this obligation is signed by 19, 194 member states, but it is embedded in the con- constitution of WHO, so they don't need to adopt it. It is immediately approved and it's an obligation so it is legally binding Which directly one? what the international health regulations or what mm-hmm. yes the international and this is the trick because nobody knows this it's in the papers it's but you have to go and dig and it's what you know it's that's what i'm finding out you have to go and dig mm-hmm. the inconsistencies of everything they're doing to see that they are directing as a corporate agency who Because on the on behalf of the health security of the international health regulation, they have made a third edition because the 2005 edition is the second edition. The first one was in 1969. Mm-hmm. The booklet of 2005, you know, um, I don't know if you've seen it. The, the booklet, um, this one, you see, is 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 2005, but it's written second edition. And the third edition comes, I saw just now, in 2014, would enter into force in 2016. Mm-hmm. And this has made the health security a dictatorship where a director general can decide on his own to sell vaccines, to uh, sell the PCR instead of all the documents that say you have to have a confirmation of a clinical and of uh, there are other tests than PCR. So I'm finding out uh, some inconsistencies that have not been used at all in law. Uh, so the first one is this, it's an obligation. So if it's an obligation, what Tedros, I'll call him Tedros, says, uh, this uh, secretary general terrorist <laughs> in WHO, when he says something, all the, all the countries has to have to obey under, under law. All the member states of the WHO, everyone yes. who signed the agreement with the WHO, because automatically, because as you're saying, this is part of the constitution of the WHO, this is binding law for everyone who is a member of the WHO. Right. Okay. With two reservations. There are two countries, because I was teaching that, so I know, I know. There were two countries in 2009, in the second edition, 
that made reservations, and it's very interesting. It's the USA, and it is uh, Iran. Uh -huh. <laughs> they don't want to obey to WHO completely. The, the 2016 uh, third edition. What happened in WHO? But uh, maybe Sylvia, you were you were there when it happened. Bill Gates was already around. He was already, you know, mingling, saying that he pays so much money. But he became visible when, I think it was in 2017, or you correct me, mm -hmm. that he, oh, it's, I know this through my colleagues there, he requested to be part of the executive board of WHO like a member state. Ah. And it's incredible. I was, I said, how can he dare to do this? And they, they went to the vote. The executive board um, uh, meets every January. So, and it changes every year. And the lobby, they try to lobby the, the countries. Of course, he tried to, to bribe. But it's, it's, a, it's really an event because it is not mentioned. Maybe we can get the minutes of the executive board. He, he, they even accepted that he would be considered as a member state because of the money he gives. So this is unprecedented in a constitution of member states. Is he now which, being considered as a member state? Uh, not officially. But unofficially? Not, not that I know. Not that I know. Maybe but there are Officially, yes. And that's well, probably because of the, because that's why he has this immunity, right? He, he has total immunity in Switzerland. Okay. Unofficially, he probably holds that kind of status, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I can tell you why it is very suspicious is because I think he has done something with every member state, the same contracts. What I found out with Swiss Medic, Swiss Medic is the FDA of Switzerland, mm -hmm. is um, because I, I gave the paper to a journalist and now I don't even find it. I can't find it. The Swiss Medic has signed a contract with Bill Gates and WHO. Aha. And this is is abnormal. <laughs> so, so basically, he literally tried to lobby him, himself into the WHO as a member state to basically found the country of Bill Gatistan. That's basically what he did. I mean, at that point, he would have been basically a one-man country. Yes, he, well, he can be a dictator because he can yeah. influence the... But, but the fact that he was not accepted by vote, that's why the minutes would be very interesting by vote uh, to be a member state, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, he then then started to sign papers for countries, that's my hypothesis, because he did it with Swiss Medic. So WHO, Bill Gates, and the country uh, in charge of accrediting treatments and vaccination are signing contracts. So, so and, he, he, didn't, he didn't get in uh, in official capacity, he didn't get voted in, so then he tried to circumvent that and just basically went around the middleman. Well, yeah, how can you, if your country, sign a contract between three signatures, Bill Gates, a country, and WHO, because WHO signs with countries, but not, and even that I find pretty weird. You know, why does WHO have to sign with a country uh, an agreement? I, I don't know. You see, this is a corporate agency doing that, but not... WHO, I, I mean, correct me, Sylvia, but, but um, w, that WHO accepts to have the, a company, a private company, selling a merchant, signing together the three to make the surveillance and to choose the medication, 
I think that, you know, Swiss Medic had posted it on the website. I think that every country, that's my hypothesis, they have done this everywhere. That's why everybody says the same thing in the train, the same message. Every week there's a, the same thing happening. Tell us more about this immunity. How does this yeah, yeah, work? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can, I can uh, find again the document. It's mm -hmm. also in German because Switzerland is also in German. And you can have a look. It is, it, it's shocking. It's the, the normally NGOs, because I have been an NGO and I'm an NGO activist uh, uh, with academics in the UN since 20 years. Mm. An NGO has a status of accreditation to the United Nations. Mm. You can come and speak, you're an observer, but you cannot intervene uh, in many things. And you don't have immunity. If you open an office, mm. you are submitted to taxation. Mm -hmm. Gavi has no taxes to pay. This, this already this is very strange. Switzerland is hosting an NGO, international, who doesn't pay taxes and who has total immunity. There are clauses in there. You can just read them. I will find it for you. I mean, the police cannot come and take a computer. If there is a criminal problem in the office, the police cannot get in. So they're criminally immune. Yes, criminal immune, immune from any criminal sanctions. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just looked it up. They, they have qualified diplomatic immunity Aha. With, within their within their um, area of operations. Since what, what's the name? Uh, I think uh, they they have qualified diplomatic immunity and they don't qualified. pay taxes to, uh, since 2009. I just looked it up. They uh, ratified a law in Switzerland in 2009. Genau, dafür das nochmal bestätigen, das weiß ich auch alles. Und das ist auch Untersuchungsgegenstand dieser Shared Responsibilities Untersuchung. Von daher weiß ich das nämlich, dass die es aufgenommen hat. Das ist von 2014 die Arbeit. Und, und ja, also wie gesagt, ich kann das nur bestätigen. Looked it up because he just said nobody knows about that. It's actually even published on Wikipedia. Yeah, but people don't know it because yeah, yeah. nobody cares. Because yeah, obviously, that's, that's the thing. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah, it's nobody. In the details. We, we don't. We don't even think that it's possible. Yes, exactly. As citizens. That's why we're not thinking about that. That's why we're not thinking about where is the basis for all this. Because we simply accept what is being told. And now we're going to start thinking, and I think many more people are going to start thinking, because this is extremely important information. Um, it is, everything is out there in the open, but most people don't want to see it because they don't believe that that can be possible. And I mean, it's not, it's not about saying that anyone's doing, you know, running around harvesting organs from African children or something like that, something horrible like that. Nobody's claiming that Bill Gates is doing that or anyone is doing that. But he could. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the problem. We as a society should ask ourselves, should we endow any single person or any conglomerate of persons with such incredible amount of power without any kind of... Um, any kind of demo, democratic responsibility and le le legitimacy behind themselves. That's the question we should ask ourselves, not yeah. if somebody's going to abuse that power, because the abuse is inevitable. As, as, as soon as somebody has this kind of power, they're going to abuse it. Not today, not tomorrow, but eventually they're, they're going to abuse it because it simply, yeah, but simply because they can. Mm -hmm. But why them and not us? You know, I have NGOs 
Why can they do it and not another NGO? Yeah. This yeah. is the question. Yeah. And also there's a, there's a difference with like a normal diplomatic Im immunity because this is usually these people come and they just whatever, you know, work on relationships and maybe they have a speeding ticket or I don't know. I mean, yeah, of course, they kind of political legitimacy. Also, yeah. But not in this case. Know, Nobody ever voted for him. So, so, but no, someone comes into another country and has like total immunity also for like all business transactions and all that. I mean, that is really, that's crazy. It's absolutely They have crazy. less immunity than Bill Gates. Apparently, that's my friends telling me. So maybe you know more, but the, the diplomats don't have a total immunity. No, they don't. Yeah. A, a similar revelation when we were dabbling with uh, European agencies, um, we found out that in the in the uh, the national regulations about, for example, the European Central Bank in Frankfurt, they have they have literal diplomatic immunity, and there is no regulation to um, to lift it. So the, the 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 head of the European Central Bank, for example. If he says, I don't want any kind of seizure of my computers, or I don't want the police in here, they can't go in. Yeah. It's, it, it, literally, it's, it literally says that in the law. When he says no, they can't do it. Yeah. And that's basically the same for every European agency. And there are no regulations in place. Um, who would be responsible to, to lift that immunity? It's not, it's not even conceptually possible to do that. And here it's the same, but at least in, with European agencies, you have some, at least some kind of de 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 uh, democracy behind it. And here it's just, well, you, now, now there's immunity and he can do whatever he wants. And the extent of this is much bigger because uh, I know also that in Basel, they have the Bank of Settlement. Yeah. Which is, I think, a very important organ of this whole. Yeah, international bank of yeah IBS, I think. Which can take uh, the property away from people or something like that. I'm, I'm not a specialist in that, but mm -hmm. what I'm saying is that it's not only Gavi; it is um, a whole system organized, and it's very interesting to look at the historical chronology, because at, in 2009 was the first year of the implementation of this huge health security governance. Mm -hmm. And that's when Bill Gates started to sign things and started mm -hmm. moving. That's, that's how we just learned about these uh, public-private partnerships. I mean, I've known for a long time that this exists, but from what uh, Frau Behrendt told us, uh, it becomes very clear that the private part of this public-private partnership has taken over control. And not only have they taken over control, they're immune from everything. They're not responsible for anything. This has got to stop. Well, I'm wondering um, what is the role of the Secretary General of the United Nations and of the Commission of the Human Rights here? Yeah. Because um, they, they are very interested. I made a manifesto. I can give it to you from Stockholm. That was the aim where I'm asking for a, um, a, a survey, an enquête, an enquête <laughs> um, that they have to go and make order in, in everything. We have to review everything in the United Nations because the United Nations has been brought into this corporate agency. I have no doubt. They have not done anything since the beginning of this uh, COVID. Yes. 
I know. Well, we've, we've seen a few statements uh, from individuals that are members of the United Nations or work for the United Nations, which looked encouraging. But you're right. There's nothing, no official action, just like we've seen nothing from the churches. No official action that would have uh, told the population that there is help, that there's another way of doing this, that they would stop in to stop the uh, most egregious uh, activities of these criminals. We, this is a very clear picture now. We are, we, we're dealing with a bunch of criminals. Uh, but we've seen that nothing from the United Nations. So that's another one of those organizations which we really seriously have to think about. Do we need them? They, they actually are meeting this week until uh, the 31st of March. Mm -hmm. And I would, I would really suggest you write to the High, uh, the Haut Commissaire, the, the um, uh, High, high Commissioner, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, high commissioner mm -hmm. on Human Rights, uh, Bachelet, very quickly. And request point. really that things move and that the lawyers take a hand on this because. We will. We will. We've spoken with human rights lawyers last night. And we're in the process. Uh, they prepared something for us, and we just have to read it. It's, it's, okay. We have so because much stuff to read. You, mm. you saw the statement of the Secretary General no. that there is massive human rights violation and that the United Nations has to take care of it. Okay, very good. He said it last, a few days ago. I've posted it on my Facebook right away. But, so, but, but 50% good, 50% he's promoting the vaccine. So my hypothesis is... That he has, he's changing, but he cannot change completely. Otherwise, they will, you know, put him out or something. Because he has had out, a, yeah. <laughs> a discussion with Pompeo mm -hmm. uh, a month ago or two months. So there is some signs that he is a good guy, but ah. he cannot uh, move on. Okay, for, good to know. Okay, Frau Stuckelberger, <laughs> we are in a little bit of a bind because our next guest has only so much time. Uh, okay. So, is there is there something else that we that we yeah, need to know? I'll, yeah, I'll tell you very quickly then. Um, I can send you an article from uh, David Fidler, who on the um, who's a who's a lawyer who has written an article on from International Sanitary Convention to Global Health Security. He was very worried of the international health regulation when he wrote this, saying that it is becoming a global governance. Um, he, he, so I think that would uh, clarify some things too. Very the good. second. Um, is that um, you have to make, see very clearly that the change of definitions of two major things in this pandemic that justifies this international uh, emergency uh, uh, declaration from all the countries, you know, is mortality and uh, mortality and, and um, the number of cases that are sick. But it's not only that. They are taking definitions that they changed in 2009, two things very important, the pandemic definition is has changed from being the number of cases abnormally high in in deaths and in disease to oh there are diseases that are spreading all over the world. Yeah, so they have changed in yeah, two thousand nine. The, the definition uh, originally existed of three elements. One is that it's a worldwide disease that they're a high number and I think what they call it an abnormally or enormous high number of yeah. uh, 
very sick people and an enormously high number of deaths. And they cut out the last two and now uh, the, the only requirement is that we have a worldwide disease. Right. That means that any flu can, can be turned into a pandemic. Actually, any cold can be turned into a pandemic. Yeah. And it comes from WHO, and it yeah. is, I think, when Bill Gates started to change with his crowd, the definitions, uh, what we just talked about, the immunity, everything. And the, the other one, they, you know that the immunity, they changed the definition of the immunity, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, so now the only immunity is vaccine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is ganz wichtig, das wollen wir auch noch mal kurz ansprechen, die WHO. And this is probably no coincidence, because this <laughs> happened in 2009, that's when Bill Gates appeared on the picture, right? Uh, yes, the, 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 the definition. Yeah, the herd immunity is now, yeah. The immunity uh, is very recent. Yes, but he's still there. And, and the last small thing, very rapid, you, yeah. just that you, I'm sure that you saw that WHO has issued twice now, uh, in 7th of December and on 20th of January, uh, alert to an alert, medical alert to a product called PCR. It is written in small that it is alert. So it is intentionally criminal to say, alert, this PCR doesn't work with the CTs, you have to find the CTs, and to not say stop. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. So they, they, have, they have an official alert, meaning you can't use PCR tests to detect infections, and at the same time they're still pushing uh, the PCR tests as the only means or the best means to detect infections. Yes. That is very and, interesting and, to know. And it's okay. intentional because they, they say in the, in the recommendation, you have to ask for the CT when you do the PCR. But in fact, I can um, give you the reference and you can look. Because this is a key. They are intentionally putting a small alert. They are delaying the time and they're not saying stop it. Okay. okay. Wow. <laughs> I, I think, uh, well, I think we pretty much covered everything thus far. We're probably going to meet again, but I'm very grateful for you um, taking the time and being here with us today. Uh, same with Frau Behrendt. Also ich danke Ihnen beiden, Frau Stückelberger und Frau Behrendt. Das war extrem aufschlussreich uh, in Bereichen, über die wir bisher so nichts wussten. Danke Ihnen für Ihre Arbeit auch. Oh, danke, danke. Geht nicht ohne Leute wie Sie. <lacht> okay, also bis dann. Ne? Okay, tschüss. Uh, I, man, I know that was long. I know it was long. Um, people, I got to ask you. Is there something with Billy, little Billy? Is there something going on with Bill Gates? What the fuck is up with this man? This man, I said in a previous podcast, has... A plan. And, man, tell you what, people, to live and die in Minneapolis, I got helicopters flying over my head again. What the heck is going on now? Oh, God. What is going on in this world, people? Anyway, I mean, I know that was long, and I know you heard a little bit of, uh, you know, you heard a worldly perspective amongst a, a like-minded group of people that are in agreement about what they are seeing and witnessing happening in their their day-to-day -day life, on their jobs, uh, 
uh, with the leadership and the people controlling what's going on with the research and with uh, the findings of all this stuff. Uh, people, we are so propagandized in the United States. You've, you, you didn't know that this, you didn't know that people in the entire rest of the world are talking about Bill Gates and are very concerned about what he's doing with vaccines around the world. Hanging out with people like Jeffrey Epstein in the pocket of politicians, in the pocket of global, global multinational corporations trying to buy his way as a nation state into what was it, either WHO or Gavi or whatever, whatever it was, whatever it was. Global action vaccine or global initiative for vaccine initiative, vaccines initiative. They all meet, all these rich assholes meet in Davos every year. You know, you have the G8 or, or the G12 or the G20, whatever the fuck it is. All, all the richest, you know, the Bilderberger group, everything Alex Jones ever told you people about. If you still think that this stuff is just conspiracy theory, you're a fucking moron, people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my podcast. I can say exactly whatever the fuck I want. And if you people... Just or refuse to believe that this shit is possible. There is there might not be any hope for you. For you, maybe you're not savable. Like I've said previously, I love you guys. I want what's best for all of us. I want us all to exercise our reason. But for the love of God or whatever God it is you pray to, people, you better start getting this stuff through your head. This is going to be the major conversations. The conversation of the beginning of the 21st century and there you can't run and hide anymore people it's too late it's too late <laughs> i really want you guys to go back and rewind this podcast listen to it as many times as you have to put it all together take some notes let it swirl around your brain for a little bit like i said i'm not taking a side i'm not trying to tell you what to think I've said it a million times. I am just the messenger. The person presenting you with information, a point of view, a perspective. Maybe not even a point of view, just a perspective. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm not telling you what to believe. I'm just giving you some clips from some information that might be beneficial for you. So that you can make the best decisions for you for yourself, and for your family. The following clip is, is is the climactic end of the episode today, people. And this is a pastor giving a sermon in a Christian church. And feel however you want to feel about watching a Christian pastor give a sermon in a church. I don't care. You can either be religious or not. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. If you're an open-minded person, you're not going to care whether the words that you're about to hear took place in a Christian church or not. Okay? But I want you to pay very close attention to what this gentleman says. This is Reverend Danny Jones from the great state of Georgia. And he has made a name for himself as of late for preaching 
what I would term as the closest to absolute truth any truth seeker alive today has stumbled upon, has sought out and discovered. And I hope you enjoy it. This might be, you know, the final nail in the coffin of my point of all of my previous 30, what is this, episode 32, I think. This is it. Grab a beverage. And have been trying to sell the world on a one world government. After World War I, they tried to establish the League of Nations, and that failed. And then after World War II, they established the United Nations and have dumped billions of dollars into it, trying to build their new world order. And we're almost there. So do I think that the coronavirus is a sign of the end of the world? I don't think so. But I do think this COVID-19 is a drill. It's a simulation. It's a dress rehearsal, if you will, to work out the bugs and get all the nations prepared for this final world government. For the last three months, we've watched our globalist leaders manipulate us with the Marxist revolutionary technique known as the Hegelian dialectic. It's a very complicated philosophical thing, but it can actually be salted down to about three points. And that is called problem, reaction, solution. The way you change cultures is using problem, reaction, solution. So these globalists, they cause a problem, be it terrorism or pandemic or global warming or whatever they want to come up with. And then they wait for our reaction. Our reaction as people tends to be the same. Oh no, we're all gonna die, somebody do something. And then they have the solution, a prepackaged, ready for us, usually involves more government control of our lives. So let's look at the timetable a little bit. Sometimes it gets blurred with our uh, 24-hour news cycles that go through, but let's look back at the timeline and see the changes that have occurred in the last couple of years that's brought about our current predicament, which for us began on March 15th when President Trump declared a state of emergency for coronavirus. Three years ago, November the 8th, 2016, Donald Trump shocked the world by winning the presidency of the United States of America. He won this election by promising to make America great again, to put a stop to the globalist agenda, to close our borders, and to quit paying all the bills for the United Nations and NATO. Also to stop uh, this man-made global climate change hoax and to stop the one-sided trade deals. He said, I want international trade, but it needs to be fair trade, not with America always being on the other end of the hook there. So once he started all this, immediately the globalist billionaire banking and business class turned on him. The press attacked him. Democrat politicians and never Trump Republicans began trying to impeach him. That went on for about three years. And then once that failed, the next move was coronavirus. Now in the past, it was usually David Rockefeller who was pulling the strings on around the world on these globalist movements, but he died in March 2017. We never did think he would, but he died in March 2017 at 101 years old. And of course, then there's George Soros. He always gets the blame. He's 90 years old. Right now, he's not having much to say, but he is heavily invested in pharmaceuticals. And so it appears that Bill Gates is taking the lead of this billionaire's club move toward a one world order. 
one of the other elder statesmen of this bunch is Henry Kissinger, who is now 97 years old. And ever since I was a little kid, Henry Kissinger's been on the radio and on the TV talking about his new world order. Anyhow, he wrote an op-ed piece on April the 3rd rejoicing about how this new world order would lead us to how this coronavirus would lead us to this new world order. So he is so proud of Bill Gates, he said there. So apparently Bill Gates is the anointed one. He is one of the richest globalists today. He's co-founder of Microsoft, who is now working to give away his nearly $100 billion fortune through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. His pet projects are population control and vaccinations. His father was a board member for the abortion provider Planned Parenthood, who helped young Bill understand as he grew up the need for global birth control to save the planet. Vaccinations, strangely, by Bill, are considered a subset of population control. Bill has this theory that if less babies died in infancy, then parents will want fewer children. And so he works all this population control and vaccinations through something called the Good Club. You can look it up on the Internet. The Good Club is made up of other globalist billionaires like George Soros, Warren Buffett, Oprah Winfrey, uh, the Rockefeller family, uh, the Ted Turner Foundation, etc., Two years ago, on January the 17th of 2017, at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, for those of you who's not aware of what goes on in Davos, Davos, they have this January meeting every year where 3,000 of the world's wealthiest people gather every year to figure out how to rule the world. Bill Gates, back in 2017, initiated a new working group called CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness Innovations. It's a collaboration of the Gates Foundation the governments of Norway, India, Japan, and Germany, and two big pharmaceutical companies called Inovio and Moderna. They also included DARPA, which is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, also known as the mad scientist of the Department of Defense. They also included the Army, U.S. Army's Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases, that's the mad scientists of the Army, that work out of Fort Detrick, Maryland. This CEPI began working on the next epidemic in 2017. Also at Davos, Gates began working on a Netflix video called Pandemic. Now, as y'all all know, I don't watch movies, but maybe I should have watched this one. It was released in November of last year. The plot of the movie was a coronavirus that originated in a wet market in China, leaving millions of people dead. Wow, what do you think? Is that a coincidence? Is Bill Gates a prophet or is it a plan? Last fall, October the 18th, 2019, there was a pandemic exercise called Event 201 at Johns Hopkins University. The exercise was conducted by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum, and Michael Bloomberg's School of Public Health at Johns Hopkins University. And yes, that's the same Michael Bloomberg who just tried to run against, Bill, uh, against Donald Trump for President of the United States. The pandemic simulation predicted that the coronavirus would have the same kill rate as the Spanish flu of 1918, which caused around 65 million deaths worldwide in an 18-month period. It's also interesting to note that Dr. George Fugao, the director of the Chinese Centers for Disease Control, was involved in the simulation. At the same time, at the very same day, October the 18th and lasted through the 27th, the World Military Games were being held of all places in Wuhan, China. You had 10,000 athletes from 110 countries 
Uh, the United States delegation was about 300 people. Two months later, January the 7th, China reports the coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan. January the 21st through the 24th was the 2020 annual World Economic Forum gathering in Davos. So the rich guys were back in Davos again in January of this year. And Bill Gates and his CPI, uh, CEPI that I just announced, they announced a coronavirus vaccine program with partnerships including Inovio and Moderna and the United States National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, which is led by none other than Dr. Tony Fossey, who is now the chief medical advisor to President Trump, who you see on TV in these daily briefings that we're getting. He's an interesting character because he wrote in March in the prestigious New England Journal of Medicine that this coronavirus was going to be a nothing. It was going to be similar to the seasonal flu. But when he went to tele went in front of the television cameras, he told American people this coronavirus is 10 times worse than the seasonal flu, may kill 2 million Americans if we do nothing. It still may kill 200,000 Americans even if we shut down the country and shelter in place. There's no known vaccine, he said, and it's going to take 12 to 18 months to get a vaccine even ready for trials. Of course, the question is, where did Dr. Fossey get all those numbers? Where did he get the model of the 2 million people and 200,000 people? Well, it turns out that came out of the University of Washington, the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which is funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Before the thing was over in Switzerland, we had something going on at the United States Capitol. On January the 24th, United States House of Representatives began drafting a coronavirus stimulus bill called the CARES Act. Yes, the money that you got this past week and deposited into your account actually started the legislative process on January the 24th, which as Americans, we didn't even know there was such a thing as a coronavirus till March, but somebody knew. So somebody in Congress knew it well enough to know that we were going to need relief, and they started a bill back on January the 24th. By the way, January the 24th is also the same time that the Senate was getting an ultra-secret briefing about this, and our new Senator, Kelly Loeffler, all of a sudden started having some changes made to her investment strategy on Wall Street. January the 30th. The United Nations World Health Organization officially, uh, officially launches a worldwide public health emergency for what they called a novel coronavirus. Even though at that time there was only 150 cases in the world, nevertheless, they knew it was going to be an emergency. By the way, novel means newly discovered, means never seen before, uh, means COVID-19 didn't just come crawling out of the woods. Kind of makes you wonder, where did it come from? January the 31st, President Trump orders a travel ban on anyone traveling from China. Four days later, January the 4th, the Centers for Disease Control decided not to use the World Health Organization's COVID-19 test kits. They didn't think they were good enough, that we had to come up with our own. So CDC made their own test and they were defective, had to pull them all off the market. CDC got out some new tests by the end of February, but then there were backlogs taking one to two weeks for people to find out whether they had it or not. By the way, you may not remember this about my resume, but before the Lord rearranged my life, I was planning on being a doctor. I was a pre-med major at the University of North Georgia, North Georgia College, majored in biology, minored in chemistry. So I went to the CDC website and looked at those test instructions, see what all was involved in doing a coronavirus test. 
And listen to this. This is a quote from the CDC website. A positive COVID-19 test does not rule out bacterial infections or co-infections with other viruses. Even COVID-19 may not even be the definite cause of the disease. Still, report all positive cases to CDC. Now, in layman terms, what that means is a patient may actually be sick with seasonal flu or pneumonia molecule of COVID-19 DNA in their swab of their throat or their nostrils, then you're going to report that to CDC as a positive case. Well, one of the things that does for you is it definitely pumps up the numbers to make sure that everything that happens out there in the medical field is a COVID-19 case. Well, anyway, uh, the next day, February the 5th, Donald Trump was acquitted on the charges of impeachment. So all this time, we've been watching news about this impeachment, and we knew nothing about this COVID-19 thing that was going on out there in the world. So March the 11th, the World Health Organization officially declared the COVID-19 a global pandemic. March the 14th, the Associated Press announced volunteers in Seattle were given the COVID-19 vaccine. Wait a minute. That was made by Moderna, where we heard that name before, and it was approved by Dr. Fauci's National Institutes of Health. And wait a minute, that's less than two months. I thought Dr. Fauci earlier said it takes at least 12 or 18 months to get a vaccine ready for trials. So something's going on there. Anyhow, March 15th, President Trump declares a state of emergency in the United States for COVID-19. And that's when we begin the social distancing, setting six feet apart, standing six feet apart, no no meetings with over 10 people. On March 31st, Bill Gates wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post saying the United States missed the opportunity to get ahead of the coronavirus. So we need to shut down the U.S. economy for at least 10 weeks, which would take us to the end of June. And a week earlier, Bill Gates did a TED Talk interview where he said that once people of the world learn to trust science to solve a pandemic, maybe they'll be ready to trust science to solve climate change. It kind of makes you wonder, where are we going with this thing? And so now we've moved on in our television narrative. Now the narrative is who done it? Where did this COVID-19 originate? Chinese leaders are saying that the United States military who attended the World Games in Wuhan released it as a bioweapon against China. American leaders are calling it the Wuhan virus and saying that the Chinese released it out of their virology lab in Wuhan in order to affect the world. The truth is probably up in there somewhere. But the trouble is, it's classified. And we will not know the truth for 40 years until it's declassified. And at that point, I will not care. Bottom line, this novel coronavirus, COVID-19, is a manufactured crisis designed to deceive people to accept a radically different world than you and I are used to living in. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't go out of here and misquote me. I'm not saying that people don't get sick with coronavirus. I'm not saying that they don't even die with it. The only thing I'm saying is according to the Centers for Disease Control who keep up with all these diseases, in an average year in the United States, there are 39 million cases of flu. 39, that's 10%. 39 million cases of flu. And between 30 and 60,000 people die. And I've been living on this planet for 63 years now, and we have never shut down the U.S. economy over that big of a threat and that many deaths. But here we are, for some reason, the powers that be have chosen to shut down America over COVID-19, which we've already said they're cooking the books on it, 
But right now, they've only got 70,000 cases against 39 million cases every year uh, between flu and COVID. And also today, they've got it jacked up to 35,000 deaths, but still that's considered a low flu year. So once again, why did we shut down the economy? I believe we are being deceived and manipulated. And the question is, is why are we being deceived and where are we going with this? Well, according to the prophet Daniel and the apostle Paul, the mystery of iniquity is already at work. We're watching people who have been deceived by Satan because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and they're changing Christian customs, culture, traditions, and laws all across our land to prepare the way for a future Antichrist. I don't know if he's right around the corner. I don't know when the Antichrist will appear, but nevertheless, the stage is being set. And we've seen a lot of changes just in the last month. As Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago and former White House chief of staff under President Obama used to say, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. And brothers and sisters, they're not wasting this one. We have watched our leaders transform this COVID-19 coronavirus from being just another virus into a crisis, into an epidemic, into a public health emergency, into a global pandemic. Now, I want you to stop because, again, we get caught up in the day-to-day, 24-hour news cycle. But stop and think about all the changes that we have accepted in about a month's period of time. We'll start off with the first thing they had to do, and that was to verify the power of the press. Make sure that those five corporations that control 90% of what we see and hear in the media still have the ability to put everybody in a panic. Of course, we're talking about CNN, Time Warner, ABC, Disney, Fox, News Corp, CBS, Viacom, NBC, Comcast. These networks bring on experts whose job it is to convince us that we need to give up our liberty or we're all going to die. They bring on globalist experts who explain that global problems require global solutions. I've heard that a half a dozen times, uh, sometimes daily. They tell us the world is too complicated for any nation, even something as great as the United Nations. We can't fix this by ourselves. We need a one-world solution to our problems. They bring on experts who tell us that we need to quit being ignorant and listen to science, listen to the experts, listen to the technocrats. They alone know how to fix pandemics. They alone know how to fix climate change. Another one of the great changes that we've seen that I've never seen in my time is called social distancing. Six feet between individuals, no gatherings larger than 10 people, order people off the streets and confined to their homes. This is a trial run at martial law, but it turns out they never needed martial law because most Americans submitted voluntarily. But governors have ordered up police, deputized government workers, and have deployed National Guard just in case we the people get sick and tired of this and rebelled. And to further add to the rumors of a police state, our governor in Georgia set up a telephone hotline so you can call and rat out your neighbors who are not complying with lockdown orders. That sounds more like Russia or China than it does the United States of America. The next big change is crashing the capitalist economy. Following these social distancing guidelines, we have watched 22 million Americans lose their jobs. We've seen the stock market drop 10,000 points. We've seen our retirement savings vanish and go down the drain. We've watched the government take charge of the means of production, which is a classic definition of socialism. We've got the government using executive orders, loans, and grants in order to pick which businesses will win and which businesses will lose. 
Another big change that's come out of this is they made the church irrelevant, or should I say more irrelevant than what we already were. In times past, when America went into a crisis, they would call the people of God to pray. That's not what we're hearing now. We're hearing we need doctors, we need scientists, we need people to tell us how to do this. We don't need God, we don't need churches and prayer. Churches are listed among non-essential businesses. Pastors are not allowed to visit sick members in hospitals or nursing homes. The Christian tradition of handshaking with the right hand of fellowship is forbidden. Churches are not allowed to assemble, which is a violation of our First Amendment right, freedom of assembly, and freedom of religion. Not to mention it's also a violation of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, which says, Do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Our sermons and our Sunday school classes are forced online which means that all of our words are being saved and stored in the National Security Agency's new and huge data center in Utah, which as long as we have a government that's okay with Christianity is okay. But what if our new world government is more like China? Then our very own words will be used against us in a criminal trial. So NSA, if you're listening, there it is. And so now the government is offering free money to churches. Never mind the fact that using taxpayer money to prop up churches who are in debt is a violation of the First Amendment of the United States Constitution. As our Minister of Music, Derek, often says, with the shackles comes the shackles. Whoever takes government money will ultimately take government regulations. And I don't think we want to do that at North Lake, at least not on my watch. All right, people. Like I said, I'm I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not going to take a side. I feel like uh, Marshawn Lynch right now. I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> well, you know, if enough people listen to this uh, episode, you know, I hope I don't get clipped by the big club. <laughs> I don't know, maybe I'm being dramatic about this. Maybe this is totally public knowledge and everybody knows this, right? I don't know. Maybe you don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that most people don't. And that's why I threw this little podcast together today. There's something about Billy. I would love, I cannot wait to hear an interview with Melinda Gates. Is she in on it? Apparently she didn't like Jeffrey Epstein. Apparently, you know, she wasn't a fan of what Bill Gates has been doing for the past few years, right? You would think. So here we go. Here's a conspiracy theory. Melinda Gates left Bill Gates because she knows what Bill Gates has planned. She knows what Bill Gates has in store for the world. Not the people of just the United States. What he has in store for the people of the world. Sometimes I wonder if Bill Gates is the guy that financed the Georgia Guidestones. There's a lot of questions with Dr. Anthony Fauci. A lot of politicians and, and a lot of media people are just falling in lockstep. It's like Operation Mockingbird never ended. <laughs> oh. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, 
We're going to lighten this mood up, man. I mean, this time. I I don't even know what to say, people. I, I don't... A guy like me being at a loss for words is rare. And I, I really don't know how I feel about all this. But, you know, started doing my own research and stumbled upon a few things. And... It's not just me saying this stuff. I've said it a million times. There's a lot of people in the world that are waking up. There's a lot of people in this world that are becoming very, very aware of the reality that a few very rich, wealthy people are consolidating their power in concert to roll out what I believe to be the new world order. World government. The brave new Orwellian police world. We'll be right back. This has been episode 32 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Also known as Triple P. Thank you for listening. People, I'm telling you, there's something about Billy. Little Billy Gates has got some splaining to do. He might be one of these little devils that is probably going to live forever. Because like Lewis Black says, the good die young and devils get to live forever. I am Andrew for America. This has been episode 32. There's something about Billy. Thanks for listening. Check out the website, politicsandpunkrockpodcast.com. Email me at andrew4america1984 at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, share the podcast. I love you guys. And let's, uh, let's hope that the future is brighter than it seems like it's going to be. I'm going to keep the faith, people. I'm going to stay positive. This... All this shit can be overcome. We will prevail. If you're listening to my podcast still at episode 32, people, you are the future resistance. And I'm not talking about the Republicans. (laughs) I'm talking about those that want liberty individual sovereignty, the ability to make your own decisions for yourself, free of government and, I guess, private enterprise interference into your life. I think I said on a previous podcast, you know, Ralph Nader once said, you know, you to you young people, you better start getting into politics because sooner or later politics is going to start getting into you.
Thanks for listening, people. We'll see you next time.